special dedication to the most wonderful human being under the age of 53, Sidney Davis. So Stevie, it's time to take this to a higher ground. Time to take a quick break and let your mind marinate to the sports talk program full of interesting discussion and debate. As I relate and share my thoughts and opinions about the weekend of college football and the National Football League to intrigue your listening ears and mind as I intertwine the wonderful and happy to eliminate the crappy soaring and scoring on the mic like I was Killian Mbappe. So when I begin my podcast, I'll be quite snappy so I can be the favorite of your mama, sister, stepdaddy, and your pappy gladly. Catching the platitudes with the latitude that have the attitude of being brash or smug, my show being more powerful and addictive than any drug, you will be filled with incongruity if you ever thought about schooling me or fooling me into thinking about moving me from my number one spot, please stop in that desire and just admire the sports talk program that slams and can set any other podcast on fire. Burning it down like I was Seth Rollins, you'll be falling into another region and begin to start seething and wheezing when the only thing you'll be seeing is yours truly talking into the mic, giving the sports talk listeners what they like. A compelling discussion of the everyday in sports that comes with a unique twist you don't want to miss the perspective with my personal directive of having knowledge rain down like a blizzard, dropping dimes like I'm the Damien of Lillard. So if your claim to fame is to try to shame and tame the most entertaining sports talk podcast going and growing with lame, profane takes, I'll have to take you to task and then scissor the acclaim along with that ass. Wendell's World in Sports, follow, download, subscribe, rate, review, and enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can ever listen to. Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. College football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Bias, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Yes, it's been a long time, and I shouldn't have left you without a strong podcast to step to. Think of how many weak podcasts you slept through. Time's up, and I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I kept you. Wendell's World of Sports, the greatest of them all, rock him. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the World of Sports. Special dedication for those who have been patient. Special dedication for those who have been understanding. Special dedication for those who are tuning back to listen to my podcast. It's been a little bit. Man, a couple of weeks ago or about a week and a half ago, whoo, man, I got sick. I got sick. I got sick. And I got sick. Like seven people in my office space 
out of 11 who worked there came down with uh, COVID. And uh, man, I don't know if I was one of them because I didn't test myself, but man, I felt awful. So I'm going to go on the thought process that I did, but uh, it was bad, man. It was, it was really, really, really bad. But um, I recovered, did what I needed to do. But, so I'm back in the saddle now to talk about what is happening in college football and the NFL. There's a take that I want to give on the World Cup that I'll be getting to also, but just want to do some cleaning up for those who are listening to my podcast anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. If you are enjoying the podcast, Wendell's World of Sports, do me a favor, would you? Would you go ahead and subscribe and follow and download and rate and review? Most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to would enjoy that and if you want to see how the sausage is made in terms of me doing my thing talking about the nba and my georgetown hoyas which after watching those guys play only made me sicker speaking about american (laughs) do me a favor go over to my youtube channel wendell's world in sports subscribe to my youtube channel there's going to be a lot more content I promise coming out, got my life kind of situated, kind of got my routine started now. The only thing I have left to do is somehow, some way, get my fat ass back to the gym. But other than that, my routine with my new job is starting to uh, take shape. Finally got over this cold or COVID or whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah, man, I am good to go. So enough about me jabbering and gibbering and talking about what happened in the past. Let's focus on the future. Let's focus on the present. Let's focus on the now. Let's focus about. Let's focus about what is happening in the NFL and in the world of sports. Before I do that, just a little bit of commentary, because the most popular sporting event is on right now, or the most popular sporting event is happening right now. When I say the most popular sporting event, I'm talking about in the world. I'm not just talking about North America. I'm not talking about in Asia. I'm not just talking about in this country. When you speak about the World Cup, the game of football, the World Cup, which is bigger than the Summer and the Winter Olympics. When you're speaking about the World Cup of football, which is bigger than the Tour de France, which averages about 3.5 billion viewers. When you're speaking about the World Cup being even more popular and more seen than the ICC Cricket World Cup, which is one of the most watched sports in the world, mainly down to its popularity in India with a population over 1.3 billion and Pakistan with over 200 million plus the population. You can see how cricket is such a, you know, hugely watched sports. Special special dedication for my listeners in Pakistan and Bangladesh and over in that part of the world. Um, Hey man, you're speaking about it. And cricket, let me get some love to them real quick. In 2016, recent 2019 Cricket World Cup have both reached audience between 2.2 and 2.5 billion people. We speak about, you know, the Super Bowl being somewhere around 100 million. If they could get 100 million or close to it, it would be unbelievable. It would be incredible. In this country, man, you're speaking about billions when you're speaking about uh, cricket, when you're speaking about the World Cup. So, yeah, man, in this country, the World Cup is bigger than any professional playoff or championship games or series, bigger than March Madness, bigger than bowl season in college football. Since 1998, the FIFA World Cup has averaged 3 billion people watching parts of the tournament with the 2018 Russian World Cup 
topping 3.5 billion viewers. So, hey man, it's, it's huge. I'm not what we would call a huge football or a soccer fan, not watching the MLS, not watching uh, the Bundesliga, not watching the Premier League. Not, not, this is not criticism. I'm not saying those who watch it are dumb or this or that. You know, when I was young, you know, when I was in high school, uh, all the white boys used to play soccer and used to get all the pretty white girls. So we would always make fun of them saying soccer's for suckers and all that kind of nonsense. But nah, man, when you grow up and uh, mature and do all those type of things a little bit when you're speaking about myself, hey, man, huge respect, large respect, humongous respect for those who play the game of football. And when you're speaking about the World Cup and you're speaking about the best of the best, even though it might not be my favorite sport by far, hey man, it's something that I, I definitely want to watch because you're you're talking about excellence and you're talking about excellence on a global scale when you're speaking about the world. In basketball, we've got the USA, we've got Spain, we've got some um, other countries which are great, but the magnitude and the totality and the amount of passion and the amount of drive and the amount of spirit and the amount of countrymanship that go into the game of football worldwide, global-wise, makes this World Cup something that I've got to see. And as soon as the World Cup is over, I'm uh, back to not watching soccer. I'm back to not paying attention to soccer. And this kind of soliloquy, which I'm giving in terms of speaking about the World Cup, is not about me trying to break down the USA's chances uh, against Iran, which is coming in. I don't know when you guys are going to be listening to this podcast, but they play Iran on Tuesday. I walk, I run, I ran. On Tuesday, I thought the game against England was thrilling. And I know people are going to be looking at me sideways talking about how can a 0-0 game be thrilling? Hey, man, that was some really good entertaining soccer. Uh, Paluchik, I don't know, like that kid from the uh, from the uh, divide, divided racist ignorant states of America, man, that kid can play. That guy can play. I mean, he can play some football. I mean, I'm not talking about the kid can play soccer. Nah, man, he's like, he's like, like, like Luca. He's like... Nicola, he's like Giannis, he's like Joel Embiid in terms of guys from other countries playing in the NBA. Now, they're not playing in the NBA. Luke and those guys aren't playing in the NBA just to fill out a roster. Man, those guys are some of the best in the world. Well, I don't know enough about soccer to uh, talk about Christian Paluchik in terms of how great that kid is. But to me, he seems like he's one of the best players in the world. He was definitely the best player watching against England, in my ignorant opinions of, of soccer or football, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm rooting for this country to, uh, to do well, which I have to admit, when it comes to the World Cup, I, I really never have before. I think for other countries in this world who take football, the game of football, much more seriously than this country does, where it's almost a religion to some of these countries that's the that's those are the teams I'm rooting for you know I never say that the uh that this country is you know my country I wrap myself up in the red, red white and blue and do all these type of things because I know in this country for the most part the uh temperature or the desire or the appetite for soccer football whatever you want to call it is very low I mean, it's not tribalism in terms of the MLS teams having the type of fandom that some of the teams that play overseas, the professional teams that play overseas in, 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 in England and in other countries. I, I know that the tradition of soccer is not huge in this country. 
I mean, we're speaking about, you know, we're speaking about the Dallas Cowboys. We're speaking about the Alabama Crimson Tide. We're speaking about the Ohio State Buckeyes. We're speaking about the Los Angeles Lakers. We're speaking about the New York Yankees. We're speaking about those type of teams having a huge fan base, the Green Bay Packers, the the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're, we're speaking about those type of squads, the St. Louis Cardinals. We're speaking about those type of franchises that have a sense of tradition, that have a sense of history, that has a sense of belonging that has a sense of uh, the everyday. My Washington now commanders. It's the same thing when we're speaking about the love and the support and the historical support and love and importance it has on this community. But compared to some of these other teams in the Bungus League and some other these and some other um, leagues that this that soccer or football is being played in overseas doesn't even come close, man. It doesn't even come close. So when you speak about countries like Germany and you speak about some of the other Eastern European squads and countries and such and when you speak about how important the game of football is to countries like Brazil or Brazil in Argentina in French and such hey man you know for us winning the World Cup would be a situation where it's kind of like wow isn't that something isn't that wonderful we would kind of like you know celebrate that for I don't know 15 minutes and then we go back to being worried about who's going to win the Super Bowl what's going to be happening with Aaron Rodgers with the Green Bay Packers what's going to be going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers the race in the NFC East between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys we would be going back to LeBron and the Los Angeles Lakers we would be going back to where Aaron Judge is going to resign in baseball I mean we have so many other things to think about or to concentrate on and it wouldn't be the game of Football, even if the World Cup went, uh, victors went to this country. So I'm just saying, hey man, you know, for us it's just a, it's just a uh, soccer tournament. If we do well, great, but I don't want us to win. I want some countries who really, really, really value this World Cup and have the true respect and love and fandom and worship and reverence of the game of football and uh, take it extremely seriously. I want those countries to do well because, again, it means so much more. And if the world could be a better place because of a soccer tournament or a football tournament helping a country uh, become better and better itself, this country doesn't need uh, a World Cup victory. Just like when people used to get all giddy and like, ooh, wow, the U.S. hockey, the USA hockey team. Hey, man, give the gold medal and let Canada win the uh let, the, let Canada win the gold medal for hockey. They're much more religious in terms of their, of their fever for the game of, for the sport of, of, of hockey. So for me, it's just one of those things. You know, I don't get kind of wrapped up in the patriotism and, and all that kind of stuff, man. You know, I'm, I'm just more of, hey man, let the countries who deserve to win this, who really put their heart and soul into it, along with the uh, countrymen, their countrymen and countrywomen, let them go ahead and do their thing, win the World Cup, have pride in their country, and let them let that country elevate and um, make this world a better place to be. Because, amen, whether you're speaking about this country or others, the world needs more love, the world needs more understanding, and the world needs some more goodness and greatness. And I think the World Cup going to the winners of country who religiously follow the game of football would be better off in the long term in the entire sphere of what this society and what this world is all about wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you can be with us but here's an interesting thing because when we're speaking about the world cup here 
You know that they're facing criticism, of course. I hope you know that you're fa- they're facing some criticism and backlash for where they are holding the tournament. Now, according to the United States Department of Justice, um, when you're speaking about Qatar and why the World Cup is being played in that country, multiple FIFA officials, according to the United States Department of Justice, FIFA officials received bribes to vote for Qatar as the host of the tournament, Step Blatter, who is just a is just a cretent and a uh, despicable human being when it comes to that kind of stuff. Kind of greased the palms and did some underhanded things and did some sorry ass things so he could get paid. Corruption, of course, to uh, have the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, FIFA. FIFA or the FIFA, yes, FIFA itself has been known for corruption and these type of things. But you know, to have it in Qatar, how low can you go for the almighty dollar? So after Qatar got the World Cup bid, of course, what came to light even more was shown in even bigger light on the country is its poor treatment of thousands of migrant workers who helped construct the stadiums and have been a black mark on the tournament along with the country's poorest human rights record. Um, I remember watching, was it Real Sports with Brian Gumble a little while ago, where they were talking about a situation where you had people coming from Nepal to help build the stadiums in Qatar, and these conditions were almost slave-like in terms of their treatment and in terms of their conditions and just their human rights violations and you know, you're speaking about that country over there that has more money than God, Jesus, and Brigham Young, and any other, you know, and Allah and anybody else put together. You know, it's, it's despicable and, and it's horrible. So when you're speaking about some of the human rights violations, and when you're speaking about Qatar and why so many people are disgusted, and so many people, at least that I've talked to, who have turned away from watching this great tournament that's being played over there. You're speaking about migrant workers' rights, where migrant workers continue to face sometimes insurmountable bureaucratic barriers and requirements when uh, seeking a, to change jobs without the permission of their employers, even though permission was no longer a legal requirement. Now, the system continues to yield powers to employers who oversee the entry and residents of migrant workers in Qatar, enabling abusive employers to cancel residency permits or file cases accusing their employee of absconding, jeopardizing migrant workers' legal presence in the country. When you're speaking about migrant workers continue to fall victim to wage theft by their employers without effective recourse to justice, access to justice for migrant workers remained largely slow, and when it did occur, did not often lead to an effective remedy. So you're speaking about those type of injustices. When you're speaking about the, um, you know, freedom of expression and that being curtailed by the government, by the government using abusive laws to stifle uh, the ability to uh, form and, uh, you know, have free speech. You know, on May 4th, for example, authorities forcibly disappeared Malcolm Bialdi, a Kenyan security guard, blogger, and migrant worker uh, rights activist. They held him in solitary confinement for a month, denied him access to legal counsel, and then on July 14th, the Supreme Judiciary Council fined him under the controversial cybercrime law for publishing false news with the intent of endangering the public system of the state. You know, it's very interesting. 
Very, very interesting. For those in this country, I kind of want you to pay attention to some of the stuff that I'm talking about because a few weeks ago, about a month ago, depending upon when you are you're listening to this podcast, we had midterms. And we had midterms in such where you had many, many, many people who were running for office, running for governor, running for um, running for Congress and such, who you could say kind of espoused or some way or the other expressed some degree of what the uh, country of uh, Qatar and the leaders and the politicians of Qatar are kind of doing in terms of suppressing, in terms of abusing, in terms of violating, in terms of what they want to do to move forward. And did you speak about this recent Supreme Court decision here in this country uh, concerning abortion and then some of the fallout that was uh, some of the ideas that were made in terms of, well, once we go ahead with this abortion deal, there's some other things that we can curtail in terms of no longer making it uh, a federal law and such a part of the Constitution. You know, you need to pay attention. As I mentioned before, man, hey, you know what? I, I, I post this on Twitter in terms of, hey, look, Qatar, horrible human rights, all of those bad things, no doubt about it. But here in this country, if you take a look at the treatment of people in this country for centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years, 400 plus in some instances, do we really have the moral authority to go ahead and be browbeating and be telling other countries what to do in terms of shame, in terms of disgust, in terms of, you know, you're not doing this, you're not doing that in terms of human rights are concerned. Or should we be the loyal, the moral police in that regard? If you take a look at what this country is all about, when you take a look at what this country is trying to do to make sure that in some corners in some generations in some parts of the country where the country's past this country's past of enslavement of discrimination of bigotry of lynching of murder of separate and unequal the atrocities that have been put upon people of color gender race and those type of things for centuries in this country now you have politicians wanting to say well Let's not go ahead and let's not bring those things up. You know, let's let's put it under the form of critical race theory. And because this country, the people in this country who are of privilege are so fucking stupid, they really won't realize the difference. You know, when I read these things about Qatar, and then I read some of the, um, I read some of the um, columnists, and I read some of the things where, you know, we need to boycott, and I'm disgusted, and I can't believe this, this, that, and the other. Number one, if it suits our needs, if it suits our individual needs, we'll go to Qatar and take their money in a heartbeat. This country still does business with Qatar. Qatar Companies still do business with Qatar. So, you know, hey man, this nonsense about we need to be outraged, this moral outrage that some of us are presenting in terms of, I can't believe that, you know, with all the human rights violations, we've been violating the rights of human beings in this country for centuries. So, again, I understand from an individual standpoint if you have no interest in watching the World Cup because of your moral uh, values in terms of, hey, man, I don't think that's a good idea. From an individual standpoint, from a one-on-one standpoint, from a people-upon-people standpoint, I get it. But when we're speaking about the multitudes or when we're speaking about entities or when we're speaking about those mouthpieces with a spotlight on them or when we 
when I'm speaking about public figures who then want to do the talking or want to try to be the spokesperson for the majority of us and say, this is horrible, this is terrible, this is outrageous, we shouldn't be doing this, we shouldn't be supporting that. Remember the same thing with the Live Golf Tour, where people were being chastised, where people's uh, character and moral character and fiber were being broken apart because it's like, how in the world can these golfers take this money from these people and because of their human rights record and all, and all these type of things? And I'm thinking to myself, damn, y'all, this is the same fucking country. This is the same fucking country who elected a president in 2016 who wants to be just like a China, who just wants to be just like uh, a South Korea, who wants to have a situation that's like that, where he wants to scrap democracy, where he wants to get rid of democracy and have him and his other minions be kings and queens of a country. So, damn, where do we get off as a country talking about Qatar and people going to Qatar and the World Cup and this, that, and the other? Just wanted to throw that out there. Hey, look, man, I'm going to watch the World Cup. I'm not sophisticated enough. I'm not intelligent enough. I'm not into it enough in terms of watching soccer 24-7 to sit there and talk about, okay, you know, I'm going to break down this game on Tuesday between the USA and Iran, or I'm going to give you my thoughts and opinions about who I think is going to be able to win the World Cup. I don't know enough about Argentina. I don't know enough about Ecuador. I don't know enough about England. I don't know enough about Brazil. I don't know enough about those teams to be giving you a breakdown in terms of this is how they're going to win. This is the offense that they're going to need to do. These are the keys to victory for uh, France and Kylian Mbappe and all these guys. I, I don't, I don't have that. This is the, this is the point where I get to be a fan and I get to watch these games as a fan. And I don't have to sit there and think about angles. I don't have to sit there and th think about storylines. I don't have to sit there and listen to the experts and try to learn from the experts because I'm going to get on the uh, microphone and talk about this. So I need to do some research and I need to do some watching and I need to do some homework. I need to do all these things. No, I can watch these games, these soccer games like a fan. Just like you. And it's refreshing. It's wonderful, man. Because, you know, when I watch football, when I watch the NFL and college football, when I watch the NBA and such, I'm, I'm always looking for an angle in terms of what I want to talk about. I'm always looking to try to find something, dig up a morsel, start something in terms of what would be interesting for me to talk to you about in terms of what's happening in the NFL, what's happening in college football, what's happening in the UFC, what is happening in AEW, MJF winning the title and remaining heel, hmm, whatever. But, you know, I'm always looking at different um, avenues or different angles that I can speak about. It's just nice to be able to watch a sporting event and just be like, cool, man, this is wonderful. That's why I love boxing so much. You know, despite Armando Vasquez calling me a fake fight fan, no, no, I love boxing. Boxing is my gig, man. Boxing, when you're speaking about the history of boxing, I'm all on it, man. I can I can educate now. Mr. Wallace can do some educating when it comes to boxing and talk about the connection between where this, where this world is, where this country is, how far it's gotten because of the sport of boxing, because of Joe Lewis, because of Sugar Ray Robinson, because of Muhammad Ali, because of Rocky Marciano, because of those guys, because of Jack Dempsey, because of John L. Sullivan, because of Jack Johnson. Oh, I can break it down in historical context in terms of why we are so fortunate that these icons are part 
of the fabric of this country because without them, there would be so many instances of things that we enjoy and take advantage of today that wouldn't be possible. We wouldn't have a black president if it wasn't for Muhammad Ali. We wouldn't have all of the things that people desire in terms of equality and rights amongst women and amongst gays and amongst Asians and amongst Hispanics and those if it wasn't for people like Jack Johnson and Joe Lewis and Mark and, and, and Sugar Ray Robinson and such. Oh yeah, Armando, I can break it down now. I can break it down. I can I can talk about Julio Cesar Chavez. I can talk about I can talk about junior and senior. One being a legend, the other one being a piece of garbage. I Gil, come on now. Come on now. You want to hear me talk about Salvador Sanchez? Come on now. Come on now. Don't tempt me. Come on now. <laughs> so uh yeah, man. So, you know, I love watching a boxing match. And knowing that I don't have to, I can just sit back and relax and enjoy it. I love watching a UFC event, and for the most part, I can enjoy it and not sit there and try to take notes and sit there and try to make mental notes and hurry back home and, you know, hit the internet so I can, you know, read Kevin Ioli and stuff so I can come up with some ideas to talk about. And it's the same thing with the World Cup, that I can just sit here and uh, watch the games. And there's been criticism about Fox is not going to... uh talk about any of the atrocities, the human rights violations of the country of Qatar. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not there to uh, watch that. Even though it's pretty funny, the fact that they did and talk about some of the atrocities, especially if the Laura Ingrams of the world would just tell the, uh, would would have told those people to just shut up and and, and play soccer or some nonsense like that. So that's my uh, take. That's my thoughts and feelings about the the World Cup, man. You know, it's a, a joyous wondrous, fantastic event. I'm not going to let, because of where the event is being held, spoil my enjoyment, because this is once every four years. I pay attention to soccer or football once every four years. And it's a glorious time to watch uh, this event, which I consider one of the most fascinating and entertaining events in the world. If they move the NBA Finals to Qatar, I'm still watching. If they move the Super Bowl to Qatar, you're still going to be watching. If they move the greatest sporting events into this country, uh, from this country into Qatar, you will still be watching. So I'm going to be watching the World Cup. I'm going to enjoy. And uh, Viva la France! I'm rooting for France to win this bad boy. Rooting for France and Kylian Mbappe to uh, get the job done and uh, win the World Cup.
Wonder's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wonder Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. I'm sorry, I'm watching some of the uh, World Cup as I'm um, recording this right now. I'm recording this on a Monday night. My uh, plan is to go ahead is to record this while I'm watching Uruguay play Portugal with Ronaldo playing. 38-year-old Ronaldo, who's, what, no longer with Manchester United. He was like, hey, man, I might be 38 years old, but I'm Ronaldo. So you guys can't treat me like that, even though I'm way past my prime. That's what I heard, at least. So I'm watching uh, this game while I'm recording this podcast. After this, I'm going to watch, rewatch the Milwaukee Bucks play the Dallas Mavericks. I taped that, or I DVR'd that on NBA TV Last night, because I wanted to watch the uh, Sunday night football game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Green Bay Packers. So, yeah, I got to wake up tomorrow and go to work and uh, do my thing. So, yeah, that's my evening for tonight. I know that you guys are just riveted on that. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, let's get into some NFL action, shall we? Because it is coming down toward the end of the season. We're almost on the back nine. The month of December is going to be upon us when week 13 is going to be happening in the NFL. So for week 12, end of the first part of what I always like to call the big push for NFL teams moving forward towards the end of the season. Whether we're speaking about teams who are looking to win a Super Bowl Teams who are looking to get into the playoffs or teams who are floundering and faltering and need to make some pretty difficult decisions moving forward, whether it be with player personnel or whether it be with their coach. Now, after we've had so much of the season as as a data to go ahead and make those decisions, those are starting to become a little bit more crystal clear as we move forward. If you're speaking about, like, for instance, the AFC, the playoff picture that's taking shape right now, the current playoff picture in the AFC, we're speaking about the Kansas City the Kansas City football team are the leaders of the, uh, of the division so far, are leaders of the conference with a 9-2 record. You're speaking about the Miami Dolphins, you know, Talking about flying under the radar, the Miami Dolphins with Tua Tungabailoa, everything that went down with uh, Tua and all those type of things, the Miami Dolphins are the leaders in the AFC East. I know they're tied with the Buffalo Bills for the best record in that division, but since they already hold the tiebreaker as of 11 games into the season, they're sitting number two. With an eight and three record, Tennessee is the third seed, seven and four. They're leading the AFC South, and the Baltimore Ravens tied with the Cincinnati Bengals with a seven and four mark because they owned the tiebreaker. They are the fourth seed with a seven and four mark. When you're speaking about the three wild card teams, the number five seed would be the Buffalo Bills with an eight and three record. The next number six seed would be the Cincinnati Bengals with a seven and four record. And then the final seed in the playoff, the number seven seed would be the New York Jets with a seven and four record in the hunt. The New England Patriots at six and five, the Los Angeles Chargers. How about that victory over Arizona yesterday? Huh? Brandon Staley misses on that two point conversion. It's like, man, what the fuck? They're sitting at six and five in Indianapolis four, six and one. Again, man, you take a look like, for instance, the NFC East, and I'll get to the NFC 
playoff picture in just a quick second. I just want to uh, comment a little bit about what is happening in the NFC East, man. When you're speaking about both the NFC East and the um the NFC East and the uh, AFC East, the two best divisions in football right now. No, no doubt about it. When you take a look at it, when you take a look at my Washington Commanders. The way that they're rolling, the way that they're uh, getting closer and closer uh, to a playoff spot, securing a, a playoff spot as of right now, they are uh, the number seven seed. But, you know, you, you take a look at the AFC East and you take a look at the Miami Dolphins sitting there at eight and three, the Buffalo Bills at eight and three and the New York Jets at seven and four. And there's where the conundrum lies when you're speaking about the uh, New York Jets, and when you're speaking about what should they do at the quarterback position with the New York Jets, because right now, Zach Wilson is supposed to be your starting quarterback. Zach Wilson is supposed to be the guy that's supposed to be um, the quarterback of the future, but as of right now, you can't play him. As of right now, you, you can't play him. I'm not just talking about for uh, this regular season or whatever. I, I'm, I'm speaking about for the rest of the season. You, you can't play Zach Wilson. You can't do it. Mike White came in against the Chicago Bears and uh, played very well. The Jets beating the Bears 31-10. Uh, I know the Bears were playing without Justin Fields. I know the Bears were playing without some of their important players. But when you have Mike White going 22 of 28 for 315 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions, uh, when what universe are we talking about where Zach Wilson is going to be putting up those type of numbers. Where in this universe that we're talking about as far as 2022 NFL season is concerned, where you're going to say that Zach Wilson is going to put up anything close to those type of numbers. Where in the universe of the New York Jets trying to make the playoffs that the that Zach Wilson is going to be given the same type of responsibility to win a football game as Mike White did. Long term, hey man, you know what? Long term, you're talking about the number two pick. We don't know what's going to be hanging on down the road. We don't know what's going to be talking about down the road. But when you have a quarterback as effective as Mike White was against the Chicago Bears, and you're speaking about a Jets offense that had a season-high 466 total yards of offense and averaged 7.5 yards per play, there is no going back. I don't care if this was a one-time deal. I don't care if this was a one-game aberration for Mike White. You cannot go back to Zach Wilson under any circumstance. And Robert Sala knows that. The players know that. You, you saw the enthusiasm. You saw the fact that the New York, New York Jets play with a little bit more verb, with a little bit more energy, with a little bit more enthusiasm, with a little bit more belief. Because they have a quarterback in Dan White who they believe in a lot more than Zach Wilson, especially after the performance not only on the field uh, for Zach Wilson in his last game, uh, but also in the post-game thoughts in the scrum and some of the things that Zach Wilson was saying, showing the immaturity, showing the lack of leadership to take full responsibility for his poor play and how it's affecting the Jets as a team in terms of winning football games. The fact that he didn't take responsibility shows lack of leadership, shows lack of maturity. And when you're in the New York Jets and you're trying to make the playoffs, man, we just can't have that. We can't have that any way, shape, or form. So look, man, right now, when you talk about what should the Jets do at the quarterback position, short term, you have to think about putting in uh, Mike White. 
And any other questions surrounding what's going to be happening after that, man, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. What's going to be happening now with Zach Wilson? How can we save face if Mike White is going to be the guy moving forward, not just for this season, but moving into next season? Because you're not going to get rid of Zach Wilson. So let's just say, for instance, that Mike White plays well. Jets make a deep playoff run. They come back into camp. White continues to perform at a high level or a level that's better than Zach Wilson. Especially after the Jets and the uh, uh, performance that they had and the progress that they made going into Robert Sala's third year. You have to keep this up in terms of we have to take that next step to becoming a championship contending team. We surprised people this season. No way, no how, after 11 games that anybody was sitting there talking about the Jets would be 7-4. and 4-7, four. Four and 3-8, and 2-9, yes. But I, you, I don't care. Go get Fireman Ed, I don't care. There ain't nobody out there that was sitting there talking about after 11 games that the New York Jets had a real great shot of making the playoffs and doing some things once they get into the playoffs. Nobody said that. This was supposed to be a year where Zach Wilson was to continue to grow and continue to learn. But guess what? That that uh, luxury is no longer a luxury. I mean, living through Zach Wilson's mistakes is no longer tolerable. It's no longer acceptable. Because now you have a team that's ready to compete. Ready to compete in the playoffs, man. And who knows? We've seen this in the NFL how many times? How many, how many people thought that when the playoffs started that the Cincinnati Bengals last season would have gotten to the Super Bowl? And it happens almost every single year. So if you're the New York Jets, you're saying, why can't us? Why not us? And if you have that attitude, if you have that focus, if you have that determination, you're not going to be putting in Zach Wilson. So he can go ahead and so we can quote unquote live through his mistakes. Zach Wilson was continuing was supposed to be continuing to get better while the Jets were losing or the Jets were going to be mediocre at best. Nobody thought the Jets were going to be this good winning like they did with below average play at the quarterback position. Now they got somebody in there who they believe, who they trust a lot more in this position with Mike White. So that's what you got to do. That's how you got to move forward and let next year take care of next year. And if you're Robert Sala, who cares? I didn't draft uh, Zach Wilson. If you're the GM, that might be a little bit of, uh, hmm, let's see here. But if you're Mike, if you're Robert Sala, I don't give a damn. I'm trying to win championships. If I win it with Zach Wilson, if I win it with Mike White, that's cool with me. I don't, I don't care. But my reputation is on the line in terms of who I draft. My reputation is on the line in terms of if I win. So if I can win with Zach Wilson, the number two pick who's supposed to be the most talented quarterback in his draft class and have Patrick Mahomes type of um, skill sets and reminiscences of Patrick Mahomes type uh, skill sets, then we're going to win with that five. But I need to win now. We need to win now. This team is ready to win now. So I can't wait three years. I can't wait another two years or three years for Zach Wilson to become the quarterback that could be that guy who could get me into a position where I'm contending uh, for the playoffs and contending for championships on a consistent basis year after year. I don't got time for that because I need to win right now. We're winning right now. I've got a quarterback 
who can help us win right now much better than Zach Wilson. So moving forward with the uh, AFC East, and you're speaking about where the New York Jets are right now. Yeah, they're in seventh place, but they're also tied with Cincinnati. They're also tied with Tennessee for that 7-4 record. They're one game behind Miami for and, and Buffalo for the lead in the AFC East. You remember, they've already beaten Buffalo, and they're two games behind the Kansas City football team for the best record in the um, AFC. And in the game of football, you, you never know. A game behind, two games behind, you, you never know. Even with five or six games left to go in the season, you never know what's going to happen. So the best thing that you can do for your fan base, the best thing that you can do for your organization, the best thing that you can do for your players is put the best players out there who are going to win now. Again, if this was a Chicago Bears type situation, if this was a Houston Texans type situation, if this was a Detroit Lion type situation, if this was a Carolina Panther type situation, then yeah, you throw in Zach Wilson and you just say, come on, man, get, keep it going, keep learning, keep growing, keep improving, keep better, and we'll just have to live through your mistakes with the hope that uh, you won't do it again. Not happening. The, the New York Jets do not have that luxury anymore. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So you have the AFC East, which is the beast, in terms of who's going to be doing what. The New England Patriots are just one game behind. We're, we're speaking about the Jets. We're speaking about the Dolphins. We're speaking about the Bills. The New York Jets are still one game behind. And you can't make the argument that the New York Jets aren't feeling the bugaboo. You, you, you can't make the argument that the Jets aren't, that the New England Patriots aren't renting space in the heads mentally of the, the New York Jets. Now, you can sit there and be like, well, now we got a quarterback who can uh, solve those problems and not put us in dis advantage situations that Zach Wilson was putting us in, but nah, man, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm sorry, the New York Jets, you have the New England Patriots in your head, and they are lurking, they are right behind you, you can smell their breath, you can feel them coming, they're touching you on the shoulder, and they're saying, hello, I'm Bill Belichick, and we're the New England Patriots, Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. AFC Central, talk to me. Baltimore, Cincinnati, tied for first, seven and four records. The momentum should be going the way of the Bengals after this weekend. Because you take a look at the two teams that played, Cincinnati and Baltimore. The Ravens doing what they've done this season, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, Losing to Jacksonville 28-27, inexcusable, unacceptable. Is Lamar Jackson playing himself out of a contract, <laughs> out, out of a huge contract? Now, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to make the foolish remarks that Lamar Jackson's not going to be back with the team or this, that, and the other, or the Baltimore Ravens don't need Lamar Jackson or Lamar Jackson is not one of the better quarterbacks in the league. And I'm, I'm not going to make that argument because I don't want to sound stupid. Um, the importance and responsibility that Lamar Jackson has towards the Baltimore Ravens is immense, especially when you're speaking about on offense. So when... I bring up the question to you 
And I say, is Lamar Jackson playing himself out of a huge contract? What I'm saying is, what I'm what I'm asking you is, what the, the answer that I want from you is, is Lamar Jackson playing himself out of the highest paid quarterback in the league type money? Is he taking himself away from the type of money and guarantees that a Deshaun Watson or a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen is getting. Because regardless or not, regardless of what you think about uh, Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's still going to get banked. He's still going to get a big bag. I mean, he's still going to get paid, and he's still going to be the uh, franchise quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. But I'm thinking, man, as Lamar continues to play average, in a losing game like this, and we can make the argument, we can have the discussion about how much of the blame should be placed on Lamar in a game like this, blah, blah, blah. But 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 yet still, man, I, I think Lamar is playing himself out of the type of bank that's reserved for a Deshaun Watson or a Josh Allen, some of the money that they got. And I'm wondering what type of reverberations are being felt amongst quarterbacks still looking to get paid and Lamar and Justin Herbert for the time being are the only two that are that are going to be fitting this fitting this mold here in terms of man do we want to um have the same or do we want to make the same mistake that the Denver Broncos made in giving Russell Wilson a quarter of a billion dollars now look I I understand I I get it Russell Wilson is a lot older than Lamar Jackson. and that, So this is a contract extension that Russell Wilson signed that's going to keep him playing until 41 years old if he wants to. So so I get there's other things that we need to discuss when I make this comment, but yet and still, you take a look at the money that Kyler Murray got and how he's not performing up the par. You take a look at the money that the Denver Broncos gave Russell Wilson. I mean, are we just going to be taking this on a case-by-case basis to say that, well, we don't care because... Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, different type of players. We know what we got in Lamar, so what seems to be a mistake in terms of the money that they've got, the guaranteed money that they got, the contract extensions that they received, we're not going to let that play into what our thinking is when we are going to be negotiating with um, Lamar and putting together a, a contract. It'll be interesting moving forward if that's going to be the case. Again, I think when everything is all said and done in a game of fairness, I think that um, I think that Lamar should be making somewhere around the same amount of coin as Dak Prescott, somewhere around there, somewhere between Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes. A little bit more than Dak, a lot less than Patrick Mahomes. And I, and I think that would be, would be fair. Now, what's fair when you're speaking about negotiations when you're speaking about contracts, when you're speaking about how much someone is worth, someone is worth how much someone is willing to pay. So if the Ravens think that Lamar Jackson is worth a Patrick Mahomes type of uh, commitment, financial commitment to them, then that's cool. If they think they're he's more along the lines of a, um, along the lines of a Dak Prescott, or a Kyler Murray, okay, if they look to franchise him after this year, franchise tag him, okay, we, we will see where this goes. But right now, man, you take a look at the AFC Central, 
And you take a look at what the Ravens are doing. You take a look at the Cincinnati Bengals and their victory over Tennessee on the road. A team in Tennessee that's going to make the playoffs because there ain't nobody from the AFC South is going to be challenging the uh, Tennessee Titans. And Tennessee is a good team, a physical team, a well-defense team in terms of their front four. Uh, running game, which is going to take the air out of the opponents uh, with Derrick Henry running the football. Um, so this is a good playoff, solid playoff contending team in the Tennessee Titans. And for the Cincinnati Bengals to come into their stadium and play the game that they played, which wasn't pretty, which wasn't free-flowing, which was playoff type type of football, and to have the Bengals on the road come out with that victory, I mean, as of right now, their confidence has to be sky high. But then again, you say to yourself, okay, Baltimore just lost to Jacksonville. Cincinnati just beat Tennessee. All the momentum should be with the Cincinnati Bengals. But then you take a look at the schedule that the Bengals have. And you say to yourself, oh, shit. <laughs> hey, boy. That's uh, that's going to be one tough schedule. Entering Sunday, five of the Bengals' final seven opponents were ranked ahead of Cincinnati in the AFC standings. When you're speaking about next week coming home to play Kansas City, and then after the Kansas City game, they play Cleveland, which is, okay, but then they play at Tampa Bay, which who knows what type of Tampa Bay Buccaneer team is going to show up. Then they're at New England, then Buffalo, then Baltimore. Meanwhile, the Ravens' schedule is a lot easier. Now, with that being said, coming into this Sunday or this past Sunday where the Ravens were playing Jacksonville and Cincinnati was playing the uh, Titans on the road, if I told you one team was going to win, the other team was going to lose, Guess which one that was going to be? I'm quite sure you would have said that, well, Baltimore in this case is the one that's going to win and Cincinnati is going to be the team that loses. So we can sit there and say and look at the schedule and parse the schedule and breaking down the schedule and do all these type of things. But, you know, on any given Sunday, anything can happen. So that'll be something to uh, take a look at as we move forward. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, Kansas City. Remaining 9-2, Patrick Mahomes still doing their thing. Three games ahead of the Los Angeles Chargers. I mentioned before about the uh, AFC South. That seems to be pretty much having Tennessee in the driver's seat. What about about the NFC? Man, another really good... (sighs) What do you think, man? Do you think I should use a really good performance by Philadelphia? They were solid. That's Philadelphia, man. That They're solid. Spectacular, solid. Solid, spectacular. I, I'm, I'm still waiting for that aw shit game. I'm still waiting for that unbelievable game. I'm still waiting for Philadelphia to put on a, a performance like Dallas did a few weeks ago against Minnesota. I'm still looking for that all oh my goodness type of game from Philadelphia. But it doesn't matter, right? Because all they're doing is winning. I don't give a damn if they don't have an A-plus performance. This is a situation where they keep winning. And Jalen Hurts against the Green Bay Packers and the Packers' poorest, poorest defense. I haven't seen a team run over. I haven't seen a quarterback run around, through, around, plus uh, the Green Bay Packers since Colin Kaepernick did his thing for San Francisco in a playoff game against the Green Bay Packers years ago. 
where I think Kaepernick ran for like 150 or 188 or some nonsense like that. It was he, he was on the ground completely unstoppable. It was the same thing with Jalen Hurts. Now, again, we're, we're looking for Hurts to have that passing game, you know? We're looking for Hurts to have that 400-yard passing game. We're looking for Hurts to go 31 of 43 with five touchdowns and no interceptions. We keep speaking about Hurts being the MVP and all these type of things, but when we take a look at the totality of his position to play the quarterback and some of the stats, which equate whether he is a quote-unquote good quarterback or not in the traditional sense, we don't see it because we can see Patrick Mahomes make the play with his arm. We can see Josh Allen make plays from the pocket. We can see Joe Burrow do the same thing. But on a consistent basis compared to those guys, we don't see Jalen Hurts do those things. Now, we also don't see Joe Burrow with the run pass options that uh, Jalen Hurts has and are so effective in, in the uh, plays, in those type of plays. So, you know, it's a situation there where... Are we believing yet in Jalen Hurts with the Philadelphia Eagles? Are we there just yet? Because I don't know. I don't know. Philadelphia has that offensive line. They have the running game. They have two talented wide receivers. They have a defense to win football games with a game-managing quarterback. And I'm not calling Jalen Hurts a game managing quarterback but he has been yet to ask he's been yet to uh, have to perform the way that uh, Patrick Mahomes did on that Sunday night game against the Los Angeles Chargers you know the Indianapolis Colts near the end of the game yeah that's that neither but I'm still waiting for that magical moment I'm still waiting for that defining moment from Jalen Hurts and I'm not talking about Jalen Hurts being benched or anything like that but when we speak about, man, the Philadelphia Eagles, how much of a favorite are they to make it to the Super Bowl, win the NFC Conference, that's what I'm talking about with the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts. I mean, is he going to be able, if they play Dallas, when Dallas is going to be rolling, and Dak Prescott is now back, so they won't be playing Cooper Rush anymore. They're going to be playing a defense in Dallas, which is going to try to and be able to curtail some of the advantages and some of the strengths of the Philadelphia Eagles. What is that going to look like if it comes down between a quarterback duel of putting points on the board between Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott? You know, we can say the same thing about the San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, the 49ers are surrounded by great talent. Their running game, just like the Eagles, are uh, it's, it's, it's great, even though Garoppolo is not the running threat at the quarterback position that Jalen Hurts is. When you speak about the defense and the 49ers having the advantage over the Eagles on that, when it comes down between Jimmy Garoppolo and Jalen Hurts in terms of they might need those two to decide who's going to win an NFC championship game or NFC playoff game, who do you believe in? Who do you have more faith in? And that's some of the questions and those some of the those are some of the things that we're going to be looking for and looking at and determining um, as the season moves forward, especially with the Cowboys. The New York Giants crumbling just a tad. Are they falling back down to earth? Tampa Bay continuing to be inconsistent, getting to the point now where, you know what, they are who they are. Tom Brady is not going to be able to rescue them. The defense is not going to be able to rescue them.
the lack of a running game on a consistent basis is not going to be able to rescue them. When are we going to be speaking about, in terms of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, when are we going to change the narrative in terms of, well, you know, once you get Tom Brady in the playoffs, then this, that, and the other, this, that, and the other is going to happen. They're 5-6. and six. Inexcusable loss to Cleveland. That defense is not going to be able to carry a mediocre offense with, I hate to say it, in the totality of playing the position this year, Tom Brady has been mediocre. Tom Brady has been average. 45 years old, 23 years in the league. This season, he has been average. This has been his worst season of his career. This is not a situation where we can just go, well, you know, again, let Tom Brady get into the playoffs and let him work his magic. That that type of situation is now gone. That Tom Brady is no longer walking through the door. So now everything that he's went through in his 23rd year, how much is that going to play out in terms of some of the real contenders in the NFC? And let me ask you a question here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Who are the contenders in the NFC for real? We have the Eagles. We have the Cowboys. We have the 49ers. Do we have the Vikings? We we have the Vikings. We have the Vikings. But as far as Super Bowl contenders, do we have the Vikings? I still don't think the Vikings get the respect that they deserve in terms of them being one of the few teams from the NFC that can uh, get out and represent that league or that conference in the Super Bowl. I don't still I still don't think that we're there yet. Is it because of Kirk Cousins? Is it because of lack of belief in Kirk Cousins? Let me put it to you this way. NFC Championship game between the Eagles and the Vikings on the road for the Vikings. Kirk Cousins or Jalen Hurts? Who do you believe in? I think many people, despite the lack of experience in playoff situations, I... I quite sure the majority of people who you would ask or who I would ask would say Kirk Cousins. I would say Jalen Hurts. They wouldn't say Kirk Cousins. Despite the fact that, yeah, he's had some missteps. Yeah, Kirk Cousins has had some disappointments. But he did beat New Orleans on the road in overtime and beat Drew Brees, uh, one of the um, playoff, one of his playoff appearances. What's going to be happening with that? What what's going down with that? The the Packers have been eliminated. Maybe in a little bit we'll get to the should we play Jordan Love or should we not play Jordan Love? Jordan Love looked pretty good in his short stint on Sunday night after uh, Rodgers went to the locker room with injury. But that's just for what half a quarter. Can he do that for an entire game? Then can he do that for two games? Then can he do that for half a season? And then can he do that for an entire season? I'm not basing Jordan Love's readiness to play off of what we saw against the Eagles. Did he look better than he did when he filled in for uh, Rodgers last uh, season against uh, Kansas City? Yeah, he looked better. No question about it. He looked more in control. He looked more confident. So, you know, that's a good thing. But based on the strong play that he had for uh, half a quarter, I'm not saying, well, based on what I saw, I think that he's the guy or this, that, and the other. I want to see. I, I want to see a little bit more. And if you're, if you're a Packer fan, you're, you're you're hoping 
that the Packers are officially eliminated because Rodgers was speaking about, and as long as we're still mathematically in the playoff hunt, I want to be able to go out there and play with my guys. So if it's a situation where the Packers lose and they're eliminated, hey, man, give me three or four or five games of uh, Jordan Love. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever. Let's see what he's all about. Let's see what's happening with him. So there you go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. So there we have it, man. There we have it. We have the NFC. We have the AFC. We have the big push. We have um, what's going to be happening down the stretch. Who's your team? What do you think about your team? Man, there's some teams out there who should be like, okay, take a look at Carolina, for instance. They might be losing an opportunity to draft themselves Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. But they might have found, them, found themselves a head coach of Steve Wilkes, who's doing a, a fabulous job, who won yesterday with Sam Bradford as the quarterback. I think that uh, <clears throat> Steve Wilkes should be taken into strong consideration for being the head coach moving forward with the Carolina Panthers. The Houston Texans are beyond atrocious, but they're keeping themselves in position to uh, draft the quarterback by uh, maintaining the worst record in the league. And, and really... You take a look at these quarterbacks that are coming into the draft. Are any of them deserving of the number one pick in regards to should the Houston Texans select Bryce Young, right? What what should be the expectations short-term and long-term for the Houston Texans in drafting Bryce Young? Is, is he the answer? Because I, I have some questions regarding uh, Bryce Young, regarding his size, regarding his lack of elusiveness. I don't question his heart. I don't question his intelligence. I don't question his ability. But there's just some things that I saw at Alabama, as great as he was, I think that he's uh, one of the great players in college football uh, this season who should be invited to uh, New York City. But uh, there's some things that I saw when watching some of these games where I'm like, I wonder if that's going to translate to the NFL. So... All of those things we'll be discussing moving forward as the uh, NFL season winds down. But things are starting to uh, take shape. Things are starting to form. Storylines are starting to be built. Plots are starting to be written. You know, lights, camera, action. The NFL season is starting to get down to the nitty gritty. And as always, I'm going to be interested to see how some of these storylines and some some of these plots the twist and turns of how the world turns in the NFL for some of these teams I'm interested to see ultimately as time goes on this season how things work themselves out baby I need your loving got to have all your loving baby I need your loving got to have all Last segment of the podcast. 
last segment of the program. Sing your song, Levi. Go ahead, Obi, Lawrence, Duke. Go ahead. Baby, I need your loving. Got to have all your love. Oh, man. How many times did I play that for them kids up there, man? Talking about, hey, man, learn. Listen. This is glorious. You've got to learn the voice of Levi Stubbs. You've got to know the voice of Levi Stubbs. You've got to know the harmonical, harmonical genius of Lawrence and Duke and Obi. Baby, I need your loving. Got to have all your loving. Although you're never near, your voice I often hear. Another day, another night. How I long to hold you tight. Cause I'm so lonely. Oh, I just, Levi, just, Levi's looking at me in heaven going, would you shut the fuck up, please? That used to be my favorite song. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. I used to tell them kids, man. You come walking into, um, you, you go up to a situation where there's a girl that you like. You hit her, hit her with that song. I'm telling you, man. It's going to catch her attention. It's going to catch her attention. Next level, baby. I need your loving. Got to have all your loving. I used to tell my boys, go ahead, man. Give it a shot with a girl that you like. Try it. Can't fail. All she can do is laugh at you. That's okay. There'll be plenty of times in life where girls are going to be laughing at you. Get used to it. Unless you're going to marry early and even your wife is going to be laughing at you. Just make sure you're not in the bedroom. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right. Let me end with some college football. Some great college football action on uh, Saturday, wasn't it? That was some good stuff, man. That was some really good stuff. At the end of the regular season, boy, that went by quick. Regular season went by really, really quick. But it was enjoyable. The last week of the season was enjoyable. You take a look at the top four teams. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC. Teams that were eliminated from playoff contention regardless of what happened is Clemson, LSU, probably Ohio State. You know I got to talk about Ohio State here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, right? Number three, Michigan over number two, Ohio State, 45-23. Ohio State was outscored 28-3 in the second half. Uh, that's the second season in a row now where Ohio State was physically beat up, mentally frazzled and bedazzled and rattled um, and had their lunch money taken away from them. Jay, Jay McCarthy, the quarterback for Michigan, 12-24 for 263 yards. And three touchdowns, had touchdown passes of 69, 75 yards in the first half. Donovan Edwards replacing Blake Corum, 22 rushes, 216 yards, and had touchdown runs of 75 and 85. Because basically, from what I remember, when I used to play Madden, remember when I used to have the goal line offense or goal line defense where everybody was up and, you know, who give, who really gives a damn about a, a, a safety? So all Michigan had to do was get past the uh, line of scrimmage, and it was bye-bye birdie. And that happened countless, 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 countless times. Altogether, Edwards ran for 174 of his career-high 216 yards in the fourth quarter. And Michigan ended up with 530 yards of offense, averaged 11 yards per pass, and 7 yards per run. And we're speaking about 11 yards per pass from J.J. McCarthy. Now, on his touchdown passes, anybody could have thrown them because they were wide flipping open because I had no idea that Ohio State secondary would rival Tennessee's as some of the worst 
secondary play that I've seen from a major college football team in a while. Alabama's secondary is not that good either, but goodness gracious, safe to life, Ohio State, along with Tennessee, two of the worst secondaries in college football this year who are looking to do some things, and uh, Michigan just, uh, just ate them up. Just ate them up. Ohio State, yeah, they had 492 yards of uh, offense itself, but the Buckeyes barely averaged more yards per pass than Michigan did per carry. So when you're talking about Michigan scoring touchdowns on plays of 45, 69, 75, and 85 yards in the last two couple of runs were basically based on desperation, it was was, uh, incredible to watch. At one point, Michigan had run 19 plays and scored 17 points. And again, Michigan's victory came without Blake Corum, the best player on the team, because he was injured. He got, what, two carries in there and said, now we're good, and that was about it. So the difference of the game, when you take a look at Michigan, this wasn't a situation where it was just body blow, body blow, die by a thousand cuts. Michigan gained 360 yards on five plays. 360 yards on five plays. The other 54 plays, they averaged three yards per play. So it, it was a situation where, yeah, we, we take a look at the scoreboard, we take a look at all the statistics, and you say, goodness gracious, sake alive, this was a one-sided beatdown similar to the ass-whooping that Michigan put on Ohio State last season up in Ann Arbor, but uh, this was a little bit different. This was a little bit more varied in the fact that they weren't just, they weren't beaten down. This wasn't a pillar-to-post beatdown by Michigan over Ohio State. This was a situation where it was a close at halftime. Michigan was hanging in there based on uh, big plays. And then in the second half, I, I don't know exactly what happened to Ohio State, but, but at some point, it looked like Michigan took their heart, took their confidence. Ohio State broke the glass in case of emergency really open, really early. Some interesting calls uh, by Brian, by Ryan Day, which I think showed Michigan's coaching staff and players that, look, man, these guys don't have any confidence. And it seemed to me that once Michigan found out that if we hit Ohio State in the mouth hard again, that they're going to wilt again and become panicky again, and we've got them on their ass again, then it was a situation where it was game over. And it was definitely game over. So, So now what does that mean? for both programs moving forward. What does it mean for college football moving forward? Because you can say as of right now, I don't know what it's going to be five years from now, 10 years from now, two years from now. I'm talking about present tense right now that Michigan is now the school of the Midwest, no longer Ohio State. Michigan has now surpassed Ohio State in terms of being the elite college football program in that area. The way that they beat them twice. And it's amazing because you take a look at the rosters, you take a look at the talent. When Ohio State was smoking Michigan on a daily basis like they were smoking a motherfucking pack of Newports, it was a situation where the argument for Michigan on why they couldn't compete with Ohio State was talent. And they would say, well, you know, take a look at the uh, wide receiver position for um, Michigan and take a look at those recruits and take a look and compare them to Ohio State's recruits. And you see the amount of five stars that were on 
the team for Ohio State at the wide receiver position compared to the three and four stars that were on the wide receiving core at Michigan. When you take a look at the skill players, when you take a look at the running backs and such, and yeah, Ohio State was playing without uh, Travion Williams or Trayvon Henderson. Sure, fine, okay. But still, just some of the panicky moves that were made by Ohio State tells me, tells you, tells everybody that, man, Michigan is in Ohio State's head. They are. And it's a situation where I would, I would think the first thing that I was, first thing that came to my mind, or one of the first things that came to my mind, when I saw the tide turn in terms of the physicality and the pendulum swing toward Michigan in that sense was, you remember the games between Oregon and Stanford? When Chip Kelly was the coach at Oregon and Harbaugh and David Shaw, who just resigned, when he was, when they were the coaches at Stanford and Chip Kelly had this new age offense, which threw the ball all over the yard and they had speed and they had these Dennis Dixon at the quarterback and all of this nuance and Chip Kelly came in with a new age, new power offense and he was getting all of these fantastic athletes and these fantastic recruits and this, that and the other and they were putting up God-God type numbers and you know, everybody was just a you know, uh, an athletic machine in terms of speed and quickness and such like that. And for the majority of the teams, almost every team that Oregon played during that time that they would just blow out just because of their skills, just because of their sets, just because of the innovation of what Chip Kelly was putting down from an offensive standpoint. They would put down, they would shellac, they would beat every team that they played except when they went and played Stanford. And you had Stanford with these guys, with these big, beefy meaty, physical, want-to-punch-you-in-the-mouth type of players play that type of style. And what happened? Every single time that Stanford and Oregon played for a short amount of time, when Oregon was at a zenith in terms of being one of the elite programs in college football, either they would go down to Palo Alto or the Cardinal would go up to Eugene, and it would be the same thing. The Cardinal would just beat them up. And it would be, that was time after time. And some of those beatdowns cost Oregon an opportunity to uh, play for a championship. But it was size and strength over speed and skill. And that's what I was looking at when I saw Michigan pummeling Ohio State. It was size and strength and physicality over speed and skill. It It was a situation where Hey, look, man, you want to dance around and do your shit and do all your bullshit, right? It's almost like a boxer who wants to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee going up uh, going up against a guy who wants to uh, fight like Rocky Marciano or or, or Joe, Joe Frazier or some nonsense like that, you know, who wants to fight. I mean, it was, it was almost a situation where, um, let me give you a little something here from the archives. It was almost like Ohio State was Beltrick Taylor and Michigan was Julio Cesar Chavez. And, you know, dancing around, doing a thing, and Chavez, while he was taking licks, was giving some. And the licks that Chavez was giving out were a lot harder and a lot more forceful than the licks that uh, Meldrick Taylor was dishing out. And by the end of the 12th round, thanks to Richard Steele, that uh, uh, Taylor uh, was robbed of a decision win. But he was never the same after that because he was so beat up. 
I mean, that's the situation with Ohio State and Michigan, man. A situation where, look, Ohio State has the, the, the great talent and those skilled players and all this kind of stuff, but Michigan was just beating them up. So moving forward now, I think that Michigan is the program moving forward that has surpassed Ohio State. What does that mean now for Ohio State? And what does that mean now for Ryan Day? Because this is not a situation where there is a talent. The reason why Michigan was beating up on Ohio State or the reason that Michigan has now become the more superior college football program than Ohio State because of the talent. No, Ohio State still has much more talent. So what are we talking about here? Where are we going to go from here? What's going to be happening here if you're Ohio State? And should we start having the absurd conversation about how hot should the seat be for Ryan Day moving forward? Now, people are going to take a look at his record and go, he's 45-5 and five over four years, and this is ridiculous, and how can you think about this, this, that, and the other? The reason why I say 45-5 and five is bogus and shouldn't play into whether Ryan Day should be coming back as a coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes is this. Look, man, your marching orders when you become the coach of Ohio State are three things. You beat Michigan. If you beat Michigan, then by all measure, you're going to win the Big Ten Championship. And if you win the Big Ten Championship, you're going to be competing for a national championship. And when you take a look at the talent that's available, when you take a look at the facilities, when you take a look at the advantages of Ohio State, let me tell you something, man. And you know this. In a 12-game season... Ohio State, out of 12 games, let's just throw 12 games for the regular season for Ohio State, right? Out of those 12 games, seven or eight of those games, they're going to win just by showing up, right? Their biggest games of the season normally consist of three teams. Sometimes they play in the early season uh, a non-conference game that's pretty good. They play Oregon or Virginia Tech years ago, um, Notre Dame, something like that. So that's sort of a test for them. Then they play Michigan, and then maybe depending upon the year, they might play an experienced Iowa team or a Penn State team or Michigan State team or Wisconsin team, which has built their program or their recruiting class to now where they're fifth-year seniors. They've been through the ringers. They're now 22, 23-year-olds, and now they're ready to compete a little bit against the skill and the expertise of an Ohio State and the five-star recruits that they have on their squad. Every four or five years, thanks to redshirting and building a program and such through their recruiting classes, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, uh, those type of squads, um, you know, might give the Ohio State of the world some type of uh, challenge. But but other than that, other than that, Ohio State only has to worry about two teams when they play Maryland, when they play Northwestern. When they play Indiana, when they play Purdue, there's no excuse whatsoever of Ohio State ever losing those games. When they play teams like Ohio, when they team play, when they play teams from the MAC, when they play Toledo, and those type of teams, they, those are just exhibition, glorified exhibition games uh, to get themselves ready for playing Michigan. So when Ryan Day, when you talk about Ryan Day's record, and you're talking about, well, he's 45 and five. Out of those 50 teams or out of those 50 games that he's played, how many of those games was he ever the underdog? Or how many of those games 
worth a talent comparable between his team and the team that they were playing out of those 50 games. What, maybe twice? Maybe three times? And out of those 50 games that Ryan Dade played, how many of those games were played by them just showing up as far as them being able to win? Out of those 50 games, I'm going to guess it's around between 35 and 40. So please, don't don't give me this, he's 45 and 5. Big fucking deal. He's not playing anybody. They're not playing anybody of any consequence. This is not a week-to-week type of thing. So please don't point to me the record of Ryan Day as the reason why he shouldn't be fired or he shouldn't uh, at least be on the hot seat coming in the next season. If they lose to Michigan in embarrassing fashion or similar fashion, it wouldn't surprise me if Ryan Day is no longer the coach after the 2023 season for Ohio State. And you can sit there and you can talk about his record and doing all those type of things, but I don't care, man. When you're playing the Maryland's, when you're playing the Northwestern's, when you're playing the Toledo's, when you're playing the Arkansas Little Rocks, when you're playing those type of uh, schools, a lot more than you're playing the Michigan's or the teams in bowl games where the talent is comparable, don't sit there and talk about how wonderful your record is. So, there you go. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, How about LSU losing, huh? How about that? So that kind of means that Georgia, regardless of what happens in the SEC championship game, win or lose, they're already basically going to be set for making a uh, playoff appearance. Uh, You talk about TCU, they came through, got that victory. I think regardless of what happens in the Big 12 championship game against Kansas State, that they're going to be making it to the um, championship game. Clemson losing to South Carolina 31-30. to DJ Uwe Ungale, 8 of 29 for 99 yards. And then the next day, uh, Dabo Sweeney is up there talking about we're still not going to make a change at the quarterback position. Hey, look, man, he knows Clemson football. He knows football. He knows all that stuff a lot more than I do. So, all right, if Dabo, if you still believe in DJ Uwe Ungale, all right, but Cade Kludnick, I mean, is he that bad in practice? I don't What's What's the, what's the, you're, you're, you're out of the playoff position. So I guess, you know, winning a conference championship is, Something to be worth a damn, but I mean, why, why not see what happens in terms of what you got from Klubnik? He's a five-star recruit, one of the best quarterbacks coming into uh, the uh, season this year as far as uh, freshmen are concerned. I mean, why not play him and, and see what happens? Because DJ, whew, and there's, there's no way to spend 8 of 29 for 99 yards, and the interception that he threw was beyond atrocious. Horrendous. Horrendous. There's no way to spin. DJ was, you know, like, oh, you know, the receivers drop balls. I mean, they, they dropped, what, 18 of them? They dropped, what, 12, 13 of them? 8 of 29? Well, we scored 30 points. Okay. Okay, again, Dabo knows this team a lot better than, my, than I do, so. And he knows a lot more about football than I do, and he knows a lot more about Clemson football than I do, so. If he feels that uh, DJ is still the answer, all right, all right, what do I know? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Let me get y'all out of here with this. Man, my man Eric G and Coach Jones doing the show with the sports animal out in Tulsa, 11-2. to 2. Um, 
mountain time or uh, central time zone. Man, how are y'all feeling now about Lincoln Riley and what's happening and what's going on at USC? Uh, 38-27 over Notre Dame. Caleb Williams, now the likelihood to win the Heisman Trophy. USC now in having the great opportunity to uh, make it to the playoffs. Man, he did that all in one year, man. He did that all in one year. You can talk about how poor his defenses are, and I thought the defense was just good enough. I mean, Notre Dame is nothing to write home about when you're speaking about um, offense, and they still put up some pretty good numbers against uh, USC, but they did enough to uh, curtail any type of hopes for an upset. The Fighting Irish have been playing well. Marcus Freeman, I think he should be proud of his first year at coach uh, of coaching uh, Notre Dame. But uh, this was just a situation where, hey, man, USC was the better team. USC had the better players, especially when you're speaking about offense at the skill position. And you have the best player in the country outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. at with uh, Caleb Williams, or at least the most potent offensive weapon in college football outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. in Caleb Williams, who in all likelihood is going to win the uh, Heisman Trophy. Guy's spectacular, man. I don't want to hear any more of this bullshit about he's Patrick Mahomes-like. Or would, 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 would you please stop comparing him to Patrick Mahomes in any way, shape, or form, please? 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 How many times are we going to do this? Would you stop? There's nothing resemblance of Patrick Mahomes. Nothing. Nothing. Except they're both light-skinned. Nothing. Can we, so can we just please just kind of appreciate Patrick Mahomes doing what he's doing and Caleb Williams doing what he's doing. Because one is doing it at the pro level and the other one is doing it at the college level. So let's kind of separate that and just, you know, admire what Caleb Williams is doing in the resurrection that has happened at USC, which I think is awesome for uh, college football. Um, When you have Alabama, when you have Ohio State, when you have Michigan when you have USC uh, being good, college football is better off for it, especially in the last couple of years since Pete Carroll left US, USC to go to the Seattle Seahawks as head coach and GM. There has been a big devoid of interest west of the uh, Mississippi. So it's good to see um, USC uh, go ahead and uh, you know basically put their name back on the map in terms of relevance in college football. Now, if we could do the same thing with Texas, that would then again, in, in Oklahoma rebound, that would be really good, especially when you're speaking about the super conferences that are going to be in all likelihood forming in a few years where you're going to have Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC, when you're going to have UCLA and USC, UCLA who also had a really good season under Chip Kelly, when you see those two now going to the uh, Big Ten and you see the impact that um, Lincoln Riley has had at USC, almost similar for West Coast football, what Urban Meyer did when he became the coach at Ohio State, what he did for Midwest football and how he elevated the conference, how he elevated elevated those teams uh, because of his presence and because of what he was doing. Lincoln Riley, for the short time that he's going to be in the pack, Uh, 12 can do the same thing for those teams so yeah man there you go good to go all right i am out of here 
losing my voice, huh? How about that? I'm out of here. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to my podcast. As always, as always, as always, I say, please, man, do what we need to do to listen, to learn from those of a different community, of a different race, of a different gender, different part of the world, different part of the neighborhood, different part of the country, despite the difference of religious belief, despite the differences of who you may love, despite different political affiliation. Let's see what we can do, man. Let's see what we can do to get together in terms of listening, learning from each other, regardless of difference of age, regardless of difference in financial wealth, in lieu of all of those things, man. Can we please get together and learn something? You motherfuckers have to realize, man, we need to get this shit going. We need to get this world in a better place. We need to leave it better for our children. And we need to do that through listening, learning, understanding, showing respect for those who give respect and uh, taking that to the children so they can take care of us when we get older and they can run this world, they can run this country with love, peace, unity, and respect for everybody, regardless if you're gay, regardless if you're Asian, regardless if you're Mormon, regardless if you're um, uh, uh, Hispanic, regardless if uh, you're whatever, you know, doesn't matter, so... As long as you've got love in your heart and you're willing to work with anybody and show respect, love, and unity, man, that's what we need. That's exactly what we need. Wendell Wallace, thank you. Wendell's World of Sports, get me out of here with some music. <laughs>